Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive faith community deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. Welcome. My name is Jen Crow. I'm one of the ministers here at First Universalist Church, and we are so glad you're with us this morning. Now, whether you're joining us on YouTube or through Zoom, or you're listening to us later on a podcast, we hope that you find this to be a space of connection and healing and hope. And if you are joining us live today, why don't you feel free to let us know who you are and where you're coming in from uh, in the chat in Zoom. We'd love to hear from you. Now, like I said, today marks a turning in the life of our church with Reverend Justin's good goodbye after 12 years of ministry with us and also our annual meeting, which will take place today, where members of the congregation will vote on our racial justice resolution, which gives even more shape and definition to the commitments this church has proclaimed for years. Together, we'll put into practice giving and receiving and growing as we give thanks for the many gifts that Reverend Justin has given to us and this congregation over the years, and we will also release him into the next chapter of his life. We know that we will carry him in our hearts always, and he will carry us as well. We're looking forward to this day where we use the democratic process as we do as part of our congregational life in the annual meeting, and where, like I said, we put into practice the values we proclaim because here in this community of faith, we welcome, protect, and affirm the light in each human heart. We listen deeply to where love is calling us next. And with courage and humility and compassion, we act for justice in the world. And in particular, we act as an anti-racist congregation, hoping to be and working to become the beloved community of belonging and power and joy that we know we can be, welcoming each and every human heart. This is the life we invite you into when you join with us, and we're so glad you're here. So today and throughout the week, there are many ways to get involved at church, and let me tell you about just a few of them right now. If you're brand new to us or have recently started joining us for worship, we invite you to attend First Step, a brief introduction to First Universalist and to Unitarian Universalism. Ann Kay, who's here with us this morning, will meet you there, and we look forward to seeing you there. Next week, we are gonna have our first in-person Sunday service in 16 months. It's a big deal, friends. So for those of you who are able and wish to join us in person next week, we'll be at the Lake Harriet Bandshell at 10 a.m. So we'll also have an option for online participation and you'll hear more about that soon, but I just wanna get it in everybody's minds and hearts and calendars next Sunday, June 13th, 10 a.m., Lake Harriet Bandshell. Make sure you bring your sunscreen, your water bottle. Our First Universalist Choir will be singing. Franco Holder and Amy K. Bryant will be there leading us in music. We'll sing and share in stories and just get to be in the glory of each other's presence. I'm so looking forward to seeing so many of you there. There's so much going on. So many things are turning right now. And in the midst of it all, we take time to settle our bodies and minds and spirits so that we can enter into this time of connection together. So I invite you to arrive in your body if you haven't already in whatever way feels comfortable for you. For me, I'm noticing 
whether my shoulders are all the way up in my ears or a little further down and settled. You can close your eyes or soften your gaze if that feels right. Maybe notice your feet on the floor, your body in a chair, wherever you are. And then I invite us into the practice of three intentional breaths together, a way to connect across space and time. I'm gonna breathe in and breathe out so, so slowly. Gonna breathe in and out. And one more whenever you're ready. Breathe in and out. Welcome friends. Let's join together in lighting our chalice with Madison and Ava. Please join us in saying the words for lighting our chalice. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth and love and to help one another. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So friends, I wanna invite the youngest amongst us this morning to come forward, maybe find a spot a little bit closer to the computer or the device that you are joining us for worship on so that you can see or hear better. Dear ones, today in our service, we are saying goodbye to Reverend Justin, who's going to stop working at our church after today. I'm pretty sure that you know Reverend Justin, even if maybe you don't know that you know him. If you remember being in our sanctuary at church together, he is the tall guy who often wears suits and ties and speaks from the pulpit. Depending on how old you are, you might remember that he rode a unicycle around the sanctuary or that he once had butterfly wings. Or maybe you remember a video of him where he jumped into a snowbank. For many of you, and you, you might not remember this, but for many of you, he was the person who touched your forehead and your lips and your hands with the sacred gathered water of this church as you were dedicated in our sanctuary. You might, depending on how old you are, remember that he was also the one who gave you a rose with the thorns on it as you came of age. Now friends, he's not going far. In fact, there's a good chance that you will see him and his family at the store or the park or walking around the city or riding his bicycle, but he won't be part of the church every day like he used to be, like he has been, and we're gonna miss him. And this leaving got me to thinking about the ways that people leave some of themselves with us even after they leave us. And so this morning, I thought that Reverend Jen and I could share some stories, some stories like that and invite you all to think about the stories that you know and will remember about Reverend Justin or anyone in your life who's important to you. So here's my story. Growing up, anytime we would make anything with boiled potatoes, my dad would boil the potatoes with the skin on. And then after they were cooked, would peel them. Now, if you've ever done this or if you're imagining this, you're thinking, that must have burned your fingers, right? And sometimes it did. I remember peeling potatoes under cold running water going, ow, 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 ow. But I learned that from my dad 
And so I grew up doing the same thing, right? It was just how I, how I did things. And then many years later, I was cooking with my wife and we were making something with boiled potatoes and she started to peel them. I was shocked. I was astonished. I said, why are you peeling the potatoes? And she said, because if we peel them now, if we peel them now, we won't burn our fingers trying to peel them afterwards. I was dubious. I called my dad to find out why he didn't follow such common sense. And he said that if you leave the skins on, they taste better. Now, I won't say that from that day on, we left them unpeeled or peeled, but I will say that we have reached a compromise. Sometimes we peel them, sometimes we don't. And every time we make boiled potatoes, one of us will make a joke about whether we peel them or not. And in that way, my dad's cooking remains a part of how we do things even today. Reverend Jen, is there a story you'd like to share? Sure. I've actually been thinking a lot, I think like we all have, about the ways that Reverend Justin has impacted me and my life. And one that you all probably don't see unless you have been a worship leader is that before every service, when we would gather the worship leaders back behind the chancel, Justin or one of us would lead us in a moment of meditation and prayer before we went out to lead the service. This was a way of connecting us, all of us who were leading the service, and also of just breathing and settling in and remembering what was important and remembering that we're channels, I hope, of the divine, of what's most important in these moments when we're leading with you. Now, this was different for me because the congregation I'd served before, I tell you, at a, you know, one minute before or one minute after the service time started, we were all running in from different <laughs> directions, trying to get up there. And there were often moments, I will say, when I was sitting up there alone on the chancel, waiting for my other worship leaders to arrive. <laughs> so I will tell you that Justin's practice of centering us in meditation and prayer before the service was such a welcome gift. And Justin, that is something we're going to keep going, even though you aren't here with us physically anymore. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that, Jen. So friends, I wonder, I wonder if you have stories like that, stories about Reverend Justin that you'll keep with you or stories about other people in your life who have changed the way that you do things. Those stories are probably too long for us to share in the chat right now. And so what I want to invite you to do is maybe to take a minute or two to share them with your grownups. And next time you see us, and I hope it's soon. Please share them with us. We really want to hear those stories from you. And friends, let's all remember that people change us and the places that they love and that they care about, like this church, and that even after Reverend Justin leaves, there will still be many, many things changed because of his service to this church, and that we are so grateful for his ministry with us. Congregation, as we come into this time of prayer and meditation, I invite you to come into your bodies, to feel the aliveness wherever you feel it, to breathe this one breath that connects us. All week, actually, in all honesty, since May, I have been feeling a rhythm and a movement in my body. 
and it comes out particularly strongly when I sit in prayer or meditation. This rhythm, this dance of life moving through me. This is what we do, church, when we worship together, when we pray together. We are in a dance. From the smallest parts of our cells to the bees buzzing from flower to flower to the leaves on the trees shimmering in the wind, all of life is a dance and we are in it. And we dance not just in heart and body, but in time. The music that we hear from our past is our inheritance and our inspiration. Even as we move and shift and shape it into something we can work with in the present, we are at the same time weaving it into different notes for the future. That future that lives in our hearts and that every day a little bit more in our bodies and in the world. This is the movement we're in. This is the dance of life that we move to. And so congregation, as we move together, will you pray with me? And please, beloveds, if your prayer comes out in movement or in song or in any of the many languages that our hearts speak, please let that come forth. All prayers are welcome here. And so in this dance, let us pray together. Holy One, God of our ancestors and God of our great-grandchildren, one who we know by many names and one who we know beyond all naming. In the face of this vastness, this dance of energy, which is life, which is love, in the face of this, may we know the paradox of ourselves and of this life. We are so small, each of us so tiny in the bigger picture of time and space. Through this lens, may we remember our finitude, our delicate embodiment, the precious contingency of our lives, that we might be humble in our opinion, curious in our certainties, and ever so gentle with each other. Knowing ourselves in this way, may we receive ourselves in each other like hands receiving a butterfly. The dance of life flits in and out so quickly. May we receive it as the miracle that it is. And Holy One, in this knowing right next to it, may we know ourselves immeasurably large, containing multitudes and capable beyond all imagining if we'd only be freed from all that holds us back knowing ourselves powerful agents of will and intention and intellect, may we pause and ask, is this world the way it should be? Or is there more love, more hope, more joy, if only we lose our chains? And God, may we remember that together we can, in fact, lose these chains. As our view moves back and forth, large and powerful to small and fragile, both true and not the whole story, may we find our centers and bring forth into community the prayers of our hearts. I invite you to speak aloud and to name in the chat those things you are holding on your heart today that are weighing you down. Those things that feel tight around your heart, around your chest, around your stomach, that in sharing them, 
it might lighten your load. There is so much that we're holding this morning, so much that is moving in our hearts, in our lives. And what is so often true in this life is that sorrow and joy are woven fine. And so I invite you to share in the chat those things that are lifting your spirit, those things that are putting a bounce in your step, those things that are helping you to make it through another day. There is such a bitter sweetness to this time. The joys are really right next to the sorrows in a very tender way right now. And so friends, as we close our time of prayer, please join me in our shared prayer. We pray that the grip of addiction be loosened that the weight of oppression be lightened, that joy break through, and that love make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so, and amen. And please join me in singing Spirit of Life with Sarah Lindsay and Franco. Sarah, thank you for sharing such beautiful music with us. Hello, I'm Nancy Gashat, and I have to say that it's an honor, a bittersweet one, to participate in this ritual. Justin, as chair of the search committee who presented you to the congregation as our candidate for senior minister over 12 years ago, I have witnessed you faithfully serve First Universalist and Unitarian Universalism. At your installation, we shared these words with you. We, the people of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis, install you, Justin Schroeder, to serve as our minister. Be with us in our grief and our bewilderment. Rejoice with us during the times of jubilee and grace. Preach from your heart of hearts, for yours is a free pulpit. Listen to us, represent our faith here 
and beyond here. Care for us as you care for yourself and be at one with yourself as well as with us. We do pledge ourselves so far as in us lies to walk with you in unity and peace and in the ways of all truth known or to be made known to us. By these words, we happily and officially welcome you among us. And I responded that day, mindful of these obligations, I freely and enthusiastically take up this ministry. With your help and grace, we shall continue to thrive. And together by any measure, we have thrived. You've guided our church to live into its purpose. We have healed, we have welcomed the stranger, we have expanded our commitment to social justice and especially to environmental and racial justice. You've come into our hearts and invited us into yours. And you've never failed to remind us of the awesome guiding power of love. Justin, when you began your ministry with us, we marked that moment with the act of installation. And today, in this ritual of letting go, as chair of the board of trustees, I speak for the entire congregation when I say, we release you from the duties of senior co-minister, offering gratitude for the ways your ministry has blessed us in private and public moments. And we give thanks for the shared ministry we have done together. Your influence on us will not end at your departure. And your influence on me will not end with this departure. Thank you to members and friends and staff of First Universalist for the path we have traveled together. Thank you for love and kindness and support you have shared with me and my family. And in this time of letting go, I do ask for forgiveness for mistakes I have made, for disappointments or hurt I have caused. And I wanna share the gratitude I have for all of the ways we have grown together. And Jen, there are a few things I'd like to say to you in this time of my leaving. Thank you for being such a good partner. Such a good partner. <laughs> in ministry and for discerning the steps together into co-ministry. What a gift. I am just thankful for the time we got to do ministry together. And man, I have every confidence in your leadership as I step down and as you become senior minister. You are beloved to me and you are an outstanding human being. And congregation, as I release my call to serve as your senior co-minister, know this, just know this in your bones. Your future is bright and promising, and I leave with full confidence in your ministry together. I leave carrying all that I have learned from you, and I wish you every blessing in the days to come. May it be so. I love you. And amen. 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 Um.
Justin, I'm so grateful for the time we have gotten to spend together. You've shaped me as a minister and as a person. You've inspired me with your commitment to spiritual practice. You've taught me how to trust because you are a leader that is trustworthy. You are a person full of integrity and authenticity and joy. You've taught me to dream bigger and act more boldly than I thought was possible. And I am forever changed for the good by the time we have spent together. I know this congregation is too. Now, over the last few months, as we've been preparing for your good goodbye, another moment of healing and authenticity in the life of your ministry here, we've been reflecting back over the time that you've been with us here at First Universalist. We've remembered your ordination and installation and the 150 year anniversary of the church. We've remembered how much you have valued children and youth and families all along the way in your time here. We've remembered the shifts in worship life that you and Reverend Ruth ushered in over time, the embrace of small group ministry and spiritual practice, the deepening commitment to becoming an anti-racist congregation that builds beloved community. We've remembered the launch of our capital campaign and the skit you and I did there about becoming a place that is truly open and welcoming to all. We've remembered things like your unicycle ride, the day you became a butterfly, so many memorable times up there on the chancel. I'll tell you one of the things I will always remember is that the same chancel up there was one of the first Sundays back after my house fire and the congregation had begun to build the rainstorm it often does during our water communion return ceremony. And a sense of panic overwhelmed me when the thundering began in the sanctuary and you just discreetly held tight to my hand as the waves of thunder and rain passed. I'll remember too all the time sitting up there on the chancel when you leaned in to tell me a quiet joke when maybe decorum would have told you not to and I'd be up there biting my lip trying to hold back a chuckle. I remember all the times that you encouraged me and other church leaders to quit dreaming small and stretch our imaginations to envision and then ask each other for what we need in order to make those visions come alive. As I tie these moments together into the arc of a larger story of your time with us, Justin, two through lines come through for me. First, there is your authenticity and integrity, your energy and joy and your clear love of the people here and of the church and what we can be. Your trustworthiness, your integrity has been healing for us as a congregation and for many of us as individuals too. In particular, your position as a white man in power who is trustworthy and full of integrity and authenticity and joy and sharing power. You brought something new for many of us and it has been life-giving and life-changing. Second, grounded in spiritual practice and deep listening, through your bold vision and action, you helped our church remember who it is who we are. You helped us remember that action grounded in mission and vision is powerful beyond any measure, and that together, another way and another world is possible, and we can create it. We can do this. These are the stories I will tell about your time with us, Justin. 
about your trustworthiness and your spiritual center and how it healed us and prepared us to know our power, our vision, our possibility even more in this world. You have done amazing ministry with us. I am so grateful for who you are and all that you have given. And I'll tell you, it matters how we tell the stories of our lives and of our time together. The stories that we tell, the facts that we emphasize or leave out, they matter. So I want us to tell the story of your time with us on purpose, Justin. And I wanna pay attention to how we are telling the stories of our time right here and now too. For instance, it was just this week that we marked the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre. The story of white supremacist rage resulting in torture and tragedy, death and the dismantling of one of our, the most successful black communities in our country's history. It's a story that went largely untold for years or was greatly distorted until its 100 year anniversary. Just this week, our Senate blocked the creation of a commission that would investigate the events of January 6th, when white supremacists again erupted in rage, resulting in terror and tragedy and the attempted undermining of the democracy that our country claims to be. This week in Minneapolis, in our own community, in our own city on the same day, two stories occurred that continue to unfold. It was just this week that the city started its work attempting to, to dismantle George Floyd Square. And they were lifting up the voices of a particular group of black men paid by the city and saying that they spoke for the whole community. On that same day, Winston Smith, a father, a brother, a son, he was killed by US Marshals in his car in a parking garage just a few blocks from our church. The stories that are being told about Winston Smith and his killing keep on shifting. What is the truth of this story? What pieces are being told which are being left out? In our community, history matters. It matters that it was just a few years ago that Philando Castillo was killed by police because they say he produced a gun when really he was reaching to show them his license and permit. It matters that so many more black men and black indigenous and people of color in our community are arrested and found guilty of crimes than white folks are, thereby creating vast differences in the number of black indigenous and people of color who are permanently carrying felony records. It matters that for over 400 years, the story of our country has emphasized some voices and experiences and omitted others, that it has created patterns of oppression that replicate themselves in perpetuity if we aren't careful about what stories are being told and by whom and how. So we have to wonder, we have to wonder with all these events, even just of this last week, what, what pieces of the story are being emphasized? What are being told out? How is this story being written? These are questions we bring to our own lives as well. What facts are being omitted? Which are being emphasized? How are we shaping the stories that we tell? How are others shaping the stories they tell about our lives or theirs? The author Rebecca Solnit 
writes this in her book, The Faraway Nearby. We think we tell stories, she says, but stories often tell us. They tell us to love or to hate, to perceive or to remain unaware of certain things. Often, too often, she writes, stories saddle us. They whip us onward. They tell us what to do, and we do it without even questioning. The task of learning to be free, she says. The task of learning to be free requires learning to hear the stories, to question them, to pause and hear the silence, to name them. And then, this is where our power lies, to become the storyteller. This is what she is asking of us. This is what I and our faith are asking of us too. Can we listen to the stories? Can we listen for the silence? Can we listen for what is left out? Can we pause and question? Can we include more voices, more pieces of information? Can we trust that we never will have the full story, that anytime we shift the perspective, it will shift too? Can we become powerful and free by becoming the storytellers? On this day of our final goodbye for you, Justin, on this day of our annual meeting of the congregation, on this day when we usually gather in our sanctuary and celebrate the ritual of flower communion, I wanna tell us one more story and I wanna include one maybe new piece of information for some of us and see how the perspective on this familiar story for many of us changes. This is the story of the flower communion ritual. So if we go back in time to 1923, to the city of Prague, there you're gonna find the Reverend Norbert Chopik. Now, Reverend Chopik has grown and developed a congregation that is at that point, the largest Unitarian congregation in all the world. And it is housed in a building called Unitaria. This congregation welcomes people of diverse identities and perspectives and beliefs and has built one community of power, of justice seeking, of belonging. Some might say it was a beloved community. So there in that place, in that time, Chopik was looking for a ritual that could bring people together and connect them across the diversity of their identities and help to show what he knew was true that together we are so much more beautiful than we are alone, that we are forever in this exchange of giving and receiving and growing with each of our identities and stories, beautiful and wanted and welcome. So he created a simple ritual where folks would bring a flower to the altar, create a bouquet together, and then at the end would take a different flower with them, a representation of how we share the beauty of our lives, our identities, how we are changed by each other, always. We also know that it was a few years later, in 1941, when Reverend Chapek was captured by the Nazis, where he was taken and tortured and sent to Dachau, where he died. We know that his vision of beloved community, of unity across difference, was deemed too dangerous to continue. So these pieces of information are familiar for those of us who have been at this flower communion service before. Let me insert one more piece of information. So I wanna back up to 1934 
right there in between 1923, creation of the flower communion ritual, and 1942, Reverend Chopik's death. It's 1934. And a group of Nazi leaders have gathered because they want to do the work of developing a legal framework for the foundation of the Aryan nation. They want to find a way to create laws to institutionalize the white supremacy that they have been talking about. Now, we know from Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast, that this was a moment in time when these Nazi leaders gathered, and they gathered curious about how it was that a country could effectively engage in genocide of its native population and institutionalize racism while maintaining an air of robust innocence in the wake of mass death. Those Nazi leaders that gathered turned their attention to the United States for inspiration of how to create the laws that would institutionalize white supremacy. Now, I read this and it brought something for me that was once seen as out there right in here. For many of us, we have pointed to the evil of the Nazis and said, oh, it's something out there. What would we do if we were in that time period? I don't know. Would we resist or not? But now we know. We know that the story of the Nazis is intimately connected with the story of America, with the racism and the oppression that is rooted here. And so what does this call us to? How does this shift the story for us? For me, it is going to take time to sink in, to let the story settle differently for me. But I know one thing for sure. I am committed to being one more member of that community of resistance, that community that says no to racism and oppression in all of its forms and works to create something different. The beloved community, a place where all are welcome and wanted, where we know ourselves as whole and holy and worthy, each of us beautiful and important. That is the world we are building. And I see us, I perceive us, I feel us here at First Universalist as one part of that long line. Spiritual ancestors pushing us forward, descendants pulling us on our way to the creation of something new and beautiful, of something that has been. We can do this together, rooted in spiritual practice, in authenticity and integrity and joy. This is who we are, and this is the community we can create. So beloveds, we practice our flower communion ritual differently today. Some of you have sent images of yourself in or pictures of flowers that we'll see in just a moment. For others of us, we'll practice our flower communion ritual later on today. Maybe we'll share a flower with a neighbor. Maybe we, maybe we will invite beauty into our own homes or our own lives in our own way. However we do it, let us recognize the beauty we bring the beauty that others bring into our lives and how we are forever changed for the good. May it be so. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.